So now, if you will, take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, here in just a second, we'll start in verse 12. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14 is our text this morning. Why are we here? Why are we here? What are we doing? Why are we part of a church? That's the question this morning. Why are we part of a church? Why do we need to be part of a church? You might say, well, we are supposed to worship God. And that's true. But you could do that by yourself, right? You could do that by yourself. You could sing songs and pray and take communion and even listen to a sermon on your own apart from a church. And so the main reason to be part of a church is not as so many people think, so that you have a place to go to a worship service on Sunday mornings. That is not the main reason to be part of a church, so that you have somewhere to go to a worship service on Sunday mornings. In fact, you could attend a worship service for one hour a week, every single week. You could attend one every single week and just go to different churches every single week. And by doing so, you're going to church very consistently, never missing, and yet you're not part of a church in any meaningful way because you'd be going to a different one every single week. You wouldn't belong to a church family. And so why make it, why does God make it such a big deal to be part of a church? Why do people place their membership at churches, at particular churches? Or let's ask it another way. In this new year, as we're thinking about the new year, as we're thinking about the the new us, what should you hope to give and to gain by being part of Columbia Christian Church? Or if you're visiting this morning, or perhaps for those who are watching later or something or listening, whatever church you might be a part of, what should you hope this year to give and to gain By being a part of a church. What should you hope for? Well, I hope to show you from our text today that the main reason why we should be part of a local church and why God wants us to be part of a local church is because a church is where people help one another hold on to Jesus. That's what a church is. A church is where people help one another hold on to Jesus. Our text this morning is telling us, the main point of our text, is that we should be helping one another hold on to Jesus. Because if we hold on, we will inherit eternal life. That's the goal today. That's the main point of the text. Let me show you from the text itself. This is God's word from the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, starting in verse 12. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I want to go through that text with you, kind of verse by verse, 
from beginning to end this morning and show you just a few things that I want to want to kind of give you to take home with you in your minds and in your hearts today. The first comes from verse 12, and it's those first two words. Take care. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care. The reason why the Hebrew author says this is because we need to have a healthy fear that it could happen to us. Take care, because if you don't, there could develop within you an unbelieving heart and you could fall away from God. We need to have a healthy fear that this could happen to me. We don't need to have this arrogance that says, there's no way I'm going to fall away. Yeah, other people, that might happen to other people. There's no way I could do this. No, you should have a healthy fear that this could fall, this, this falling away could happen to you if you don't take care. The Christian Standard Bible translation, instead of take care, says watch out. Watch out that this might not happen to you. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, Paul says this. He says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. There is a spiritual arrogance that we are prone to that says, I'm not going to fall away. I'm good. I'm strong. I'm in right standing. There's no way that's going to happen to me. And when that starts creeping in, we start to not take care. Take care. In other words, make it a priority to consistently do the things that keep your heart close to God. Take care. Take care of your soul. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard our hearts because our hearts are precious. You don't want your heart going astray. Guard your heart. It's the same idea here. Take care of your soul. Take care because there's always the chance that we could develop that unbelieving heart and fall away from the living God. Taking care means you should practice those things that keep you close to the Lord. What things are we talking about? Well, first and foremost, the big two, Bible reading and prayer. Bible reading and prayer. Take care of your soul by consistently getting alone with God and reading his word and spending time with him in prayer. It's one of the main ways, probably the main way, those two things together, that we take care of our souls so that this doesn't happen to us. But they're not the only ones. Bible reading and prayer might be primary. Corporate worship is another, regular corporate worship with other believers. In Colossians 3, verse 16, Paul tells us to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That verse right there in Colossians, along with the passage that we're looking at today in Hebrews, make up two of 60 one another commandments that we find in the New Testament. 60 different times the New Testament tells us to do things to and for one another as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so corporate worship, being with one another, teaching and admonishing one another. Admonishing there is just a big word for warning. We teach one another God's word. We warn one another against things that are against God's word. And we sing with one another. We have thankfulness in our hearts to God with one another. We should be fellowshipping with one another, with other believers. It's another way that we take care so that this doesn't happen to us, this falling away. We need to be serving regularly, 
serving one another, serving others. And we need to be regularly repenting. Repentance is one of the ways that you take care that you don't fall away. Never stop repenting. Never stop repenting of sin. When you stop repenting, it's a danger sign that you are falling into that overconfidence that that says, I'm fine. That would never happen to me. No, take care. Take care. We've got to take care that we stay close to the Lord. Because falling away, falling away is a slow and gradual process that you don't notice at first. Falling away from the Lord is a slow and gradual process that you don't notice at first. You feel like you can get away with not taking care for a time. It's kind of like how it works with diet and exercise. Some of us might be thinking about diet and exercise with the new year, right? Well, with with diet and exercise, you think you're getting away for a while. If you're in decent shape, you can go for a while and not exercise and kind of eat junk food all you want. And for a little bit, it seems like it's fine. For a little bit, it seems like you're not doing any harm. And you're like, well, I could, I could just keep doing this. I could just keep going. I must be fine. And it catches up with you, doesn't it? There's a, a, like a lag time. But don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by that. Spiritually, too. If you neglect to take care of your soul, you could very well end up falling away from God. Take care of it. My favorite sports figure for the longest time now has been LeBron James. Me and him are the same age. And when I was a senior in high school, he was a senior in high school, and his games were on ESPN. I played basketball. I couldn't believe what I was watching. I was like, I found my next Michael Jordan. You know, I grew up loving Michael Jordan. I found him. You know, so I've liked him for a long time. Well, he spends over a million dollars every year on his body. Over a million dollars every year just on his body. He's 38 right now. He's been in the NBA for 20 years. He's about to break the all-time scoring record, a record that people many years ago thought would never be broken. And he is performing at a level never before seen from someone who has logged so many minutes as he has. Now, before y'all get all uppity, I'm not saying he's better than Michael Jordan, okay? We're, We're not having that debate here. Everybody knows Michael Jordan's the greatest, okay? That's not what we're saying. But he's performing at a level that's never before been seen at someone his age. Kind of like Tom Brady's doing right now in football. It's kind of the same thing. LeBron spends over a million dollars every year on his body, taking care of it so that it works and so that it lasts. And so he's performing at a level unheard of. He, He had 37 last night. He's 38. It's his 20th year in the league because he's crazy about how he takes care of his body. The great danger facing all believers today, is falling away. Falling away. And so God is telling us this morning, take care of your soul, lest that happen to you. Who will endure to the end? Who will endure to the end? In Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 9, Jesus says, When it comes to the end times, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. And put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away, and betray one another, and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise, and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end 
will be saved? Who will endure to the end? What I am telling you today is you need one another to endure to the end. You need one another to endure to the end. We must help one another hold on and endure to the end. We must exhort and encourage and strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ. It starts when someone becomes a Christian. Luke Sandusky got baptized last week. He's starting his walk with the Lord at a very young age. It's a beautiful thing. That's when it starts. That's when we have to start encouraging and exhorting and strengthening one another. It starts when someone becomes a Christian. It ends when someone passes from this life. It means we need to be exhorting those who seem to be experiencing the final decline of their health that will eventually lead to their death. Those of us who are their brothers and sisters in Christ have to be exhorting them and strengthening them and helping them hold on until the very end. We must exhort and encourage and strengthen one another. And we must let ourselves be strengthened and be helped and be encouraged by our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because a church is where we help one another hold on to Jesus. Now go with me in our text again, verse 13. Do you see that? Verse 13. Verse 13 at the very beginning says, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Exhort one another. What's that word mean? Not exactly a word we use in our everyday vocabulary. Exhort means to urge, to implore, to entreat, or to encourage. Really what this means is that we are to be speaking God's words into one another's lives. Speak God's words into each other's lives. Have you ever spoken the word to someone? I'm talking like in a conversation, not not in a a Bible study, not in a way that, that you were formally teaching, just spoken the word into someone's life. Have you ever given someone... As Proverbs says, a word in season. Proverbs 15.23 says, a word in season. How good it is. I bet many of you can think back on your life to a time when someone gave you a word in season. And it, it, it stuck with you. Because it was the right word at the right time from the Lord. Given in the spirit of the Lord. I remember when I was younger. This is over 10 years ago now and I still remember it. I went to the minister of the church that we were going to at that time to talk about some struggles in my own personal life. And it was it was hard for me to talk about. It was a hard conversation to have with him. And at the end, he gave me this word from the Lord. It was just Numbers 6, 24 through 26, that blessing that God told Aaron to bless the people with. It's the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And I just started to tear up immediately. I I wasn't expecting that because it was a word in season, properly applied, given from the Lord. It was an exhortation from another brother in Christ. And so I challenge you this morning and this year, have meaningful conversations with your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a difference between exhorting one another and just talking about the weather or how's your family. There's a difference in those things. 
Not saying there's not a place for us to talk with each other about the weather or family or sports or, you know, water cooler talk, if you will. But there's a difference between that and exhorting one another, giving people words of life from the Lord. Just like there's a difference between having a healthy meal with meat and vegetables and nourishment versus fries and a Coke. When I get together with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't just want a sugar rush. I want food for my soul. It says, exhort one another every day, every day, as long as it is called today. Now, that doesn't mean that you would be disobedient if you go one day without exhorting someone. If you go one day without exhorting someone, without a brother and sister in Christ being given a word from the Lord, from you. If you go one day without that, it doesn't mean you're disobedient. But the idea here is a lot like when Paul says, pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5. Pray without ceasing or pray continually, right? He doesn't mean you must spend every waking second of your life in prayer. He just means never stop. Never stop. Pray all the time. Be a person that's characterized by prayer. And in the same way, we should make exhortation to one another a regular and consistent part of our lives. We should should have kind of a reputation among our brothers and sisters in Christ that when I get together with them, they're going to give me some kind of spiritual encouragement or challenge or comfort or some word in season from the Lord. And so exhort one another, brothers and sisters, Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. And it's never going to stop being called today. And so every single day, let's exhort one another in the Lord. But we move on to the second half of verse 13. We exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by sin. This is a power-packed phrase right here at the end of verse 13. Number one, it says sin is deceitful. Sin is deceitful. And it is. It's deceitful. It's lying to you. Sin is enticing. Sin is making promises to you that it cannot keep. It cannot keep the promises it's making to you. We look at sin and we are so easily deceived at times. Sin looks so good at times before we commit it. And many times after we commit it, we start seeing clearly. Sin is deceitful. Just like junk food. It's deceitful, isn't it? You eat junk food all the time and pretty soon it's going to catch up to you one way or the other. It's deceitful. There's a pleasure, yes. There's there's a goodness, yes. But it's a deceitful pleasure. Sin is like that, but even more so. But notice how it says the deceitfulness of sin can harden you. Did you see that in the text? So that we may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin's deceitfulness can harden us. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul tells us that our consciences can be seared as with a hot iron. Searing our consciences. In other words... Think about a hot iron going against your skin and leaving it there for a while. Pretty soon you've seared your skin and it will harden up and crust over even because of the damage that you've done to it. Sin works the same way. Consistent sin, consistent going against your conscience can cause you not to feel what you're supposed to feel. 
to have a hardened or calloused over heart. I, I play guitar. And when you play guitar, you've got to spend time getting calluses on your fingers. I, I don't really feel much of anything on the ends of my fingertips right now. I, I kind of don't feel what I'm supposed to feel on the ends of my fingertips because they're calloused over, right? The same thing can happen to our hearts. Our hearts can become calloused and become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin to where you don't feel what you're supposed to feel anymore. You don't feel joy when you read God's word. You don't love the, thing God, the things God loves. You don't feel repulsed by the things that repulse God. You don't feel grief over what grieves God. And you don't feel compassion to those who are suffering. You see, when you start to believe the lies of sin, you start to disbelieve the truth of God's word. And do you see the progression, how it starts to lead to that unbelieving heart that can eventually lead you to falling away from the living God? Take care. Take care. Exhorting one another regularly prevents this. Part of the reason that we're to exhort one another is so that this doesn't happen. When we are deceived, others can help us see clearly. If we have strong brothers and sisters in Christ around us, they can speak into our lives when we start walking down a wrong path. When sin starts to deceive us, they can see clearly and help us to turn back. It says specifically in our text, in verse 13, we're to exhort one another so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another that you might not be hardened. That sin might not deceive you. That you might not end up with that unbelieving heart and fall away from the living God. That's why we're supposed to exhort one another. So that we are not deceived. So that we do not fall away. God is speaking to us today and telling us, help one another hold on to Jesus. By exhorting one another. When one is weak, those who are strong surround them to strengthen them, and to help them hold on. When one is deceived, those who are in their right minds surround them to exhort them and bring them back to the right path. When one is young and immature in the faith, those who are mature surround them and help them grow and mature and learn what it means to walk with Christ. And when one is being slowly defeated by the spread of the disease, that will finally kill them. Those who are healthy surround them and march with them and help them get over the finish line. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that you might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, so that you might not develop the unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away from the living God. In other words, hold on to Jesus. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Who will endure? Who will hold on to the end? In Revelation, we read the seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation. Jesus tells the words to John. John dictates them and sends them out. But at the end of every single one of those letters to the churches, Jesus says, to the one who conquers, I will give blank. 
Or you might have it in your translation, to the one who overcomes, I will give blank. The one who conquers, what does Jesus mean there? Well, it is not the one who does many great deeds for the kingdom. It is not the one who has the best record of obedience. The one who conquers is the one who holds on to Jesus until the end. For instance, 1 John 5 tells us that the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. Our faith in Jesus. The one who conquers is the one who holds on to Jesus to the end. And in those letters, Jesus tells us, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree, eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. To the one who conquers, I will give authority over the nations. To the one who conquers, I will confess his name before my Father. Jesus says, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. And Jesus says, to the one who conquers, I will clothe them in white garments, and I will never blot their name out of the book of life. To the one who conquers, to the one who holds on to the end. But again, we're saying this morning, it's not just about you holding on. You need one another to hold on. We need each other to help us hold on until the end. The 1992 Olympics in Barcelona will always be remembered for the dream team. It will. But I will also remember them for another reason. One moment in particular. Some of you might remember this as well. It was the men's 400-meter semifinal, track and field. Derek Redmond from Great Britain was running in lane five. About halfway through the race, Redmond pulls up, grimacing, grabbing his hamstring, and falls to the ground. And, of course, the rest of the runners, they're long gone. His chance at a medal is over. Now, a few people come over to try and help Derek Redmond, and and he brushes them off. He gets up, and he slowly starts hopping on one leg toward the finish line. He's going to try to finish, even though he's going to be last, and people start cheering him on. But as he's hopping around the last turn, you can tell it's getting really painful. Whatever happened to him, it is really bad. It's getting really painful. And the pain of the injury becomes so great that Derek Redmond almost can't walk anymore. And you can see from his face, it's almost unbearable. He's screaming and crying. And then this older man comes up beside him in a hat. It turns out this is his dad, Jim Redman. Got out of the stands and ran down onto the the track. And his dad starts helping him. The injury is hurting so bad, Derek Redman is screaming and crying. And his dad grabs his arm and puts it on his shoulder and supports him as they go slowly toward the finish line. At one point, a race official comes over, presumably to to tell this man who's run onto the the track to leave, and Jim Redman swats him away and yells at him as if to say, this is my son, get out of here, there's no way I'm leaving him. And, And the person immediately realized, oh, I'm sorry, sir. And he helps his son the rest of the way to the finish line. My dad sends me that video every Father's Day. I think of all the brothers and sisters that we have lost in our church since I've been here. And I think how so many of you 
in their final moments of weakness, surrounded them and helped them to finish their race without letting go of Jesus. That is why we are here. That is what a church family is all about. We are to help one another hold on to Jesus. There are times where you're going to have to do the helping. There are times where you're going to have to let others help you. But that's what a church family is all about. And so help one another hold on to Jesus, brothers and sisters, because if we do, if we hold on, if we endure to the end, we will inherit eternal life with the Lord. Right now we're going to spend just a few moments in silent, reflective prayer, responding to the Lord and what he's put on our hearts through his word. We encourage all of you to do this, to spend this time in prayer and to go to God and to respond to him in whatever way that you need to. And after we spend some time in silent prayer, responding individually, we'll come back. We'll have an invitation time where anyone who needs to respond publicly to God's word can do so. Right now, let's pray for a few moments.